everybody. I want to thank you again for joining me for our online uh, cyber Bible study on Wednesdays. Uh, we have been doing our best to remain faithful to this, uh, coming into your homes or wherever you are on Wednesday evening. Uh, and we continue to pray for you all, uh, thanking God first for keeping us uh, and those, of course, uh, who have lost their loved ones during these trying times. We are praying for your strength and comfort. Um, I want you to know that we love you all and appreciate you here at Greater Refuge Temple in Washington, D.C., and Refuge Temple Annex, of course, in the Bronx, New York, uh, and all of the people of God, all of you who have uh, tuned in to be a part of this online Bible study. Let's Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we're so grateful once again. This is another day that you have kept us, kept our hearts and minds. And we're so grateful, Lord, because we know without you it, it would be another way. And even in the midst of this, you're yet keeping us and holding us and strengthening us. And we ask now that you would bless us, Father, in the midst of your word. Touch everyone. And in the sound of my voice, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in the book of uh, Philippians. Uh, if you remember last week, we started at the end of the book of Philippians, and um, the Lord blessed us. I enjoyed that lesson. We had a wonderful time uh, in the book of Philippians, and we're back in that same book, uh, the book of Philippians, and... Um, we're in the second chapter on tonight, uh, verses 1 through 13. And of course, uh, like we told you last week, the theme of Paul's writing, uh, this book of Philippians to the Church of Philippi, is joy in living for Christ. And we understand uh, with this particular church, Pastor Paul has a very strong relationship with this congregation. Um, and he writes in 2 Corinthians, and uh, I guess he's bragging a little bit about the Philippian congregants. Uh, he's saying, and when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia. Wow, this is the Philippian church that he's bragging about. They supplied, and, and in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. I'll read it in the Message Bible, uh, 2 Corinthians 11 and 9. Uh, it sounds like this, a little better to understand. Not once during the time I lived among you did anyone have to lift a finger to help me out. My needs were always supplied by the Christians from Macedonia province. I was careful never to be a burden to you, and I never will be. Uh, I can take you back to book of Philippians itself where uh, we are teaching out of but it's in the fourth chapter verses 15 and 16 where Pastor Paul says now ye Philippians know this that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving but ye only hallelujah even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity so he has developed a strong relationship with them because they supported his ministry. 
Um, and, and that means a lot to a pastor or a minister uh, when you travel, especially when this is what you do, it's your life. Uh, and then there are those who understand that there are tremendous sacrifices. Listen, uh, there are some preachers, believe it or not, who are not doing it for the money. Uh, but money does pay bills. Money does, hallelujah, make sure they have food to eat. And, and uh, Paul was very grateful because there were places that he went uh, where the people begrudged him. They didn't want him to have anything. Uh, they didn't even believe in his ministry. They questioned his authority. But the Philippian church showed him love, and they put their love where their mouth was. They sent money when he needed. They sent clothes when he needed. They made sure uh, that Pastor Paul had what he needed to continue ministry. Now, uh, Paul is writing from a Roman prison. And, um, you know, unlike his other letters, um, Philippians was not written primarily because of church problems. When you read Corinthians, when you read um, his other books, um, you know, there were church issues, uh, division, uh, hatred, uh, you name it. There were vision, there was uh, problems, I should say. Uh, but the Philippian church, um, he's, he's writing this because uh, they had issues, and every church does have issues, no matter how big or how well it looks. Um, there are issues there, uh, but and you see this when you read the book of Philippians whole, there were three issues. The first one, um, some of the people were discouraged because they saw uh, their pastor suffering and going through. Um, I'll take you to first, uh, the first chapter of Philippians 12 through 26, but I would, ye, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill, uh, the one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or death. So the issue here was there are others, uh, like we talked about last week, who were taking advantage of the fact that the pastor is in prison, uh, you know, how things happen in, in the church world, unfortunately. There were those who were starting a church within the church, and they were pulling the congregation, uh, this preacher pulling them this way and that way. And Paul was saying, uh, listen, uh, the gospel is being preached. People are being blessed, uh, and I don't want you to be discouraged. Uh, God is in control, uh, and he's going to work things out. So he's trying to encourage them in the midst of all of this, uh, and certainly you can understand 
of their concerns. Then uh, the second issue was uh, the ever-present threat in the church of disloyalty because there were Judaizers, and Judaizers were people who were trying to get uh, the brothers and sisters in the church to go back to the law. Uh, we see it in the Galatian congregation, but uh, he had that issue uh, because Paul, a Jew, was preaching to Gentiles, uh, and there were Jews who felt like in order to really be a Christian, you have to be a Jew first and then become a Christian and um, the Judaizers were saying, well, you have to come back. Maybe you should come out of grace and come into the law. And, you know, it was, it was so it was stirring disloyalty to the gospel. Uh, and it was creating division, uh, not so much this one against that one, but spiritual division. There were those who were Christ-minded. Uh, there were those who were earthly-minded. Uh, and Paul was saying uh, a carnal mind is enmity against God. He just had that lesson with uh, the Corinthian congregation. Then uh, the third issue, and you know, it happens, uh, I would say, everywhere. There's no perfect congregation. Uh, the small seeds of disunity between uh, there were two women in the church, uh, and seeds of disunity were being spread abroad throughout the congregation. Philippians 4 and 2, I beseech you, uh, Eudeus, and uh, beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. So uh, he has to deal with that. There should be no schism in the church, and... Uh, if you don't deal with the disunity, if you don't deal with those, uh, you know, who are beefing with each other, they tend to go around the congregation uh, to get others to pick sides. You know how it goes. So uh, I could take you to the second chapter. He says also, verses 2 through 4, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife. Or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem uh, other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So basically, he's saying there shouldn't be any favoritism uh, in the family. Uh, love without dissimulation. Don't love this one more than you love the other one. So, and I'm getting to the lesson, I'm leading you there. Uh, in connection with these three potential problems or issues that Paul is fastening himself to and encouraging them and correcting them, um, he is actually giving us some of his richest teachings uh, here in the book of Philippians, um, some of his richest stuff uh, right in jail. He's pouring it out from his heart and the Holy Ghost is dealing with him. The first thing, uh, is really the theme of it, the whole book, joy in the midst of all of life's circumstances. Paul is dealing with this, uh, Philippians 1 and 4, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy. Hallelujah. And, and he wants them to understand these things, but I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So, uh, not only is he instructing, but he's testifying. He said, I'm going through this 
Uh, but because of what I'm going through in my life, the word is being pushed out there. You know, people were questioning why certain people were doing this, that, and the other. And Paul was saying, listen, the gospel is being put out there. Uh, the second part of this teaching uh, deals with the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And you see all of that in, in the third chapter of the book. Uh, the third thing that he teaches very heavily on in this book uh, deals with humility and servanthood. Um, Philippians 2, 1 through 18. And this is where we are tonight, uh, where he's teaching about humility and servanthood. And he's teaching this to the congregants. Um, and something really sticks out to me in this second chapter, where he tells them to have the mind of Christ. And this is the theme or the title of the lesson tonight, Having the mind of Christ, having the mind of Christ. It is verse 5 that just screams in my spirit. Chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I'm going to say it again. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So, uh the theme of our lesson tonight is having the mind of Christ. So let's go into the actual lesson. Philippians 2, uh, verses 1 through 13. If there be therefore my any consolation, I'm sorry, in Christ, if any comfort of love, uh, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that name is Jesus, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now that's a whole lot. Uh, and Paul is really hitting it heavy, and he's taking him deep into the word of God. Um, so there's evidently uh, one weak spot in the church, Philippi. And every, every church, every ministry, I don't care if it's a mega church. I don't care if they have 50 million members. Uh, every ministry, every church has a weak spot. Uh, and three times in his letter, the Apostle Paul reproves them. 
Yes, he reproves them not for doctrinal ever, as I forestated, it wasn't for doctrinal ever, but for careless and undisciplined living. Hallelujah. I'm gonna say it again. It's not it wasn't it wasn't doctrinal. They baptized right. They, you know, they they believed in receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, but he's dealing with them concerning uh, being careless and undisciplined. Wow. Philippians 1.27, only let your conversation, and when you see the word conversation in the New Testament, I'm in Philippians 1 and 27, the word conversation in the Greek really means behavior. So you could put the word behavior, only let your behavior be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit, one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Take you to Philippians 2, 1 through 5. We read it earlier. If there's any uh, consolation, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the spirit, any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He says it again, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Uh, and he's talking to Eudeus and Zintiki, and he's telling these women, uh, stop fighting and bickering. Get it together. You should be of the same mind. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. Um, so he's trying to, to pull everybody together uh, and watch your... Watch your behavior. Watch your behavior. We can't say we're a family and then act like we hate each other. Uh, and so he's, he's in prison trying to, to be a spiritual referee, telling them, get it together. We don't have time for this. And, and certainly, my brothers and sisters, all the stuff that's going on in this world, we don't have time for bickering and being petty and, you know, this one don't like, listen, people are dying. They're dropping like flies in the church and out of the church. And if we're going to be the church, we should be the church. We should be real, uh, meaning our love should be real. Uh, our praise should be real. Uh, our holiness should be real holiness. Whatever we do, right, uh, it should be for real, uh, even how we interact with one another. So uh, they were sound in doctrine. Uh, but they were not manifesting the unity of the spirit. Uh, you know, uh, let's, let's look at Ephesians 4 and 3 for, for a moment because, as I said, every church has its issues, and, and he has to say it even to the Ephesian church. He says these words in, in chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavor. Do what you got to do to keep the family together. Uh, instead of concord, listen, I have in my, my notes, instead of concord, there was discord. Mm -hmm. Instead of harmony, there was disharmony. Their believing was all right. They, you know, they had the doctrine together. They knew how to dress. They knew how to do this. They, they looked the part, but they weren't really... They weren't really unified like they should have been unified, but uh, their behaving was all wrong. Their behaving was all 
their behaving was all wrong. So it's, it's easy for us, uh, you know, to brag about having sound doctrine, uh, but we're still failing, right? Uh, we know how to, to make church attractive to people, uh, but I want to take you to Titus 2 and 10, right? Uh, he says to Titus, uh, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. So uh, to, to break it down further, not putting on a show, uh, you know, not having a form, not just looking the part, uh, but you should, be, you should be living soundly. You should be appropriating or applying the word of God uh, in all things, in every area of your life, not just in the building, but you should be living this thing in your house also. And among the brethren also, they'll know you're my disciples by the love that you show to one another. So what is the reason for uh, the presence of these, these hindering things in, in the midst of our uh, church, in the midst of our spiritual family? What, what causes them? Um, and, and Paul is indicating what causes all of this is self. Self gets in the way. Self, you know, uh, self is a mess. Uh, and, you know, even though we speak in tongues and we sing and we function, uh, we still have to deal with self every time. Uh, self in its ugliest manifestation, self in its ugliest manifestation uh, is pride. The ugliest part of me is when I start operating in pride. And when people start operating in pride, uh, you know, you can't tell them anything. You can't correct them because they know who they are. You know, sometimes the first thing out of their mouth, child, I've been here. I was here before you got here. And that is not a reason to conduct yourself outside of the corridors of God's word. Yeah, I'm talking to you. It, it's, it's because some of the Philippian believers were, had become self-centered, 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 self-righteousness. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, full of pride. And Paul appealed to them. Uh, he appeals to them. Listen, uh, and, and some of what Paul is saying is somewhat like what Peter is saying to the church also. In First Peter chapter 5, verse 5, he says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject. You know, he's given instruction on family order uh, and even family order in the church. But listen to what Peter says. It's similar to what Paul is teaching. He says, Younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, no, he's trying to bridge that generational gap in, in the church. And he says, um, all of you, all of you be subject one to another. Respect one another. Yeah, all of you. Say it with me, all of you. Uh-huh. And be clothed with humility, for God resisteth 
the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So Paul is he, he's trying to do some house cleaning from the prison and he's he's telling them some things. Uh, you can't walk in pride uh, you, because uh, you're throwing around so much of yourself that God can't be glorified. And some of them had become self-centered, proudful, full of pride. Uh, and, and he's trying to admonish them to clothe themselves with humility because it's not all about me. Yep, I'm the pastor, but it ain't all about me. Yep, you're the missionary, but it ain't all about you. Walk in humility. Walk in humility. Uh, so the secret of harmony and having concord and unity is humility. The secret of unity, you can't have unity in the church until people humble themselves. You come to the table with your title. You come to the table with who you think you are. You come to the table with this, that, and the other. And Paul is saying, when you come to the table, the only thing you should be wearing is humility. <laughs> That's the only way we're going to be united. Uh, you know, we wouldn't, perhaps we wouldn't have so many organizations if people humbled themselves. Humbled themselves. Some of y'all might turn me off tonight. Uh-huh. Can't be any harmony, can't be any concord, can't be any unity until we humble ourselves. So uh, let's, let's consider what Paul is teaching us in chapter 2. Mm -hmm. uh, the first thing I, I, I've got to notice, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. He's exhorting us uh, to be obedient. Yeah. My attitude. My attitude should be the same as the attitude that Christ had. Uh, and he leads us beautifully up to verse 5. He says, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if there's any mercy, fulfill ye my joy. Make me a happy pastor, knowing that my children are like-minded having the same love. They're not being mean to each other. They have the same love being of one accord, of one mind. How much power would a church have? Uh, you know, listen, I'm determined not to leave this, this uh, COVID-19 situation and come back to church to the same old stuff, the same old bickering. The devil is a liar. So let's get into it. Let's get it done. He said we should be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Don't do anything around here through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Wow. Come to the table in humility. Come work in the ministry with humility. Right? And esteem your brother higher than you. Stop flashing your your uh, education in people's face as if to say I'm better than you. No, even Paul said I'm, I'm educated. I've got degrees on the wall, but I count it all dumb. It don't mean nothing. It's not going to get me into heaven. It might get me a good job. Yep, it might get me a lot of money, but that's not going to get me into, into heaven, right? 
Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Then he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Read that verse again. Read verse 5 again with me. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Now, uh, let's compare that to Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me because I am meek. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And Jesus is saying in the book of Matthew, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I want you to learn how to be more like me. I want you to be like, take my yoke upon you. Let me lead you and guide you because I want you to learn how to be like I am because this is how I am. I'm meek. I'm lowly in heart, and you'll find rest if you learn how to be like me. We always quote this scripture. I wonder if we really get it. Take my yoke upon you. And the Lord is saying, let me lead you. Let me show you how to live. Let me show you. I came that you may have life in that more abundantly. And I didn't quote that so you could feel just so you can get all of the benefits of life. No. The thing about salvation is he's teaching you how to live. And if you're going to live, if you're going to be my child, then you're going to have to learn how to be like your daddy. I'm meek and lowly. I'm not high-minded. Right? I love everyone. I show love to everyone. He says, meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. So he is a supreme example. Jesus is the supreme example of humility. Yes, Lord. Yeah? So let's go deeper because Paul not only is explaining at length what Matthew uh, writes concerning what Jesus says about himself. Let's go back, chapter 2, Philippians. I'm in verse 6 now. Verses 6 through 11, uh, he explains the condescension and the exaltation of Jesus, the contrast, the condescension and the ascension of Christ. And he shows us the contrast, and he's doing it beautifully, right? Verse 6 through 11, who being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, right? You see me, you see my father. But listen, Paul says, but made himself of no reputation. Jesus was God in the flesh, but he didn't come around trying to make himself a reputation, showing off. Uh, and took upon him the form of a servant, God, in the likeness of men. And I'm in verse 8, and found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, what if, what if Jesus came down here and said, I'm the, I'm the son of God, get out of my way. I'm taking over this, I'm taking over that. Listen, we would have never had a chance for salvation. He had to humble himself. He had to humble himself. What are you saying, Fields? I'm saying, listen, if you really want to be successful in the kingdom and get the work done that you're supposed to get done, you have to humble yourself so God can use you. 
to the fullest so your purpose will be fulfilled. You can't get through the door if your head is larger than the opening of the door. Um, so he's saying being in very nature God, as God the Father has no visible form, this can only mean that Jesus was and is himself God. He always was and he always will be God. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word. I'm going old school on you tonight. And the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Uh, the other thing in this, did not consider, hallelujah, equality with God, something to be grasped. But he was God. Yes, he was. Uh, and he didn't go around with a sign knocking people down, disrespecting people because of who he was. He humbled himself. Uh, he was not taking something to himself that did not belong to him when he claimed equality with God. So uh, there's some scriptures. If you compare uh, John 5 and 18, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Uh, John 5 and 23, that all men should honor the son even as they honor the father. He that honoreth not the son, honoreth not the father, which hath sent him, right? Um, uh, John 10 and 33, the Jews answering him saying, for a good work we stone thee, but for blasphemy and because that thou being a man makest thyself God. He, he wasn't taking something to himself that didn't belong to him. He was who he said he was, but he came in humility. He came in humility. Listen, he was God uh, in the flesh. Uh, he didn't come riding in on the stallion, right, floating through the air. He didn't have gold rings on his finger. No, none of that. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He humbled himself, and guess what? He was effective. He was effective. He, he was effective. Say it with me. He was effective. So the second thing, uh, the, the amazing condescension of Jesus is described in verse, in verse number 7. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and it was made in the likeness, I'm going somewhere with this, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself and became obedient. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So they tell us of the seven steps he voluntarily took from the throne down to the cross, from the throne to the cross, from the throne to cross, from the throne to cross, um, hmm. from the throne to the cross. He made himself nothing, verse 7. He made himself nothing. Uh, so it doesn't mean that he divested himself of his deity. He was still God in the flesh, but he was just as much God as he was man. It means then uh, when he became man, he voluntarily laid his glory aside. Uh, he voluntarily moved it aside. The word became flesh. 
uh, and dwelt among us. So uh, he took the nature of a servant. Verse 7, took the nature of a servant. I'll take you to Mark 10 and 45. Follow me, follow me. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. The Son of Man, he didn't come to be ministered unto. You know, he wasn't like some of the preachers who come uh, and they come to get, they come to take, right? Uh, no, here's a preacher that comes to town and he comes to minister and to give his life, this is what it says, to give his life a ransom for many. So he takes the nature of a servant. He takes the nature of a servant. Uh, let he who is greater among us, let him serve. Ain't nobody greater than Jesus, and he comes as a servant. You want people to call your name. You get mad when they don't say your name across the pulpit, or if they don't say your name in the microphone, and Jesus, God in the flesh, came as a servant. He takes the nature of a servant. Wow. Let's go to John 13, 3 and 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God, he went to God. He riseth from supper. Listen to this. He gets up from the table and laid aside his garments. He takes a towel and girds himself. This is God in the flesh. He's sitting down, he's eating. They should be taking care of him, right? He should be getting room service, right? Like, I'm the, I'm the apostle. I should get the biggest room. No, this is God in the flesh. He gets up from the table. He rises up. He lays his garment. He gets a towel and girds himself. After that, he pours water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Wow, he's serving. This is Jesus serving. I, I, I remember once uh, we were in the Bible college sitting uh, at dinner time and, um, at the, uh, Bishop Bonner's Bible college and, and we looked up and Bishop Bonner is in the kitchen and then he's got a, he's got a uh, you know, he puts on a little thing around his waist, apron, that's, there it is. I had a senior moment. And he comes out with a tray, and he's serving our dinner. And people got upset. And he got upset that we were upset and trying to stop him from serving. Uh, but I learned a lesson from that. Uh, and that scripture came to mind. He who was greatest among us, let him, let him serve. He says this in John, um, John the 13th chapter. Uh, verses 13 through 17, because they had an issue with it, just like I had, we had an issue with Bishop Bonner serving everybody. He says, you call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for I, for so I am. I am master and Lord. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. I'm showing you something. I'm showing you how I am, and this is how I want you to be. I don't want y'all fighting over who's in charge. I don't want y'all fighting over being a bishop and an apostle. You know, because at one time they was like, who, who's going who's gonna to pass to the church, Jesus, after you've gone? Even got their mama involved in it. 
right, came and said, uh, Lord, put one of my sons on your right and put one on the left. People, you know, they, they're thinking about the wrong thing. He said, if you really want to know how to do this thing, then you need to be like me. He said, yes, I am master. Yes, I am Lord. Yes. And if I'm your Lord and master and I'm washing your feet, then you all should be washing each other's feet. If I'm showing you love, if I'm humbling myself, then you all should walk in humility and treat each other like your sister is better than you. Uh-huh. I'm going to lose some more of you. Some more of you are going to turn me off too. I know. I, I feel it already. Um, so Jesus is God in the flesh, and he takes the nature of a servant. Uh, the other thing is uh, he's made in human likeness. And, and verse 7 again, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of Men, So he came looking like us so he can show us how to do this thing. Romans 8 and 3. I'm going to take you there quickly. Romans 8 and 3. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. Right? The law, it was weak through the flesh. We didn't know how to follow the rule. We didn't know how to apply the rule to our lives. So God sends Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin condemns sin in the flesh. So he sends his son to condemn sin in the flesh to show us how to apply the word to his life so he wouldn't sin. So he's showing us how to be sin free. Uh, and just because you have the Holy Ghost don't mean that you don't do things wrong. There's a whole lot of folks filled with the Holy Ghost treating people wrong right in, right in the building. Right in the building. So Jesus comes and shows us how to apply this to our lives. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. This is how you show love. This is what, how you humble yourself. This is how you do it. Yeah, this is how you do it. <laughs> Thank you, Father. Now, he was found in appearance as a man. That's verse 8. I'm in chapter 2 of the book of Philippians, verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man... He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Mm -hmm. He was found in appearance of man. Let's go to Hebrews 2 and 17. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of God. The people. So he looked like us, but he was there to reconcile us to God. He looks like us. He looks like us. He looks like us. He was hungry like we were. Uh, if you read Matthew 4 and 2, uh, he becomes hungry. Matthew 4 and 3, he's tempted. 4 and 2, I'll read for you. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungry. He was hungry like we were. Verse 3, and when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. He was tempted just like we were. He got hungry. He was tempted like we were. Uh, he got tired just like we get tired. Uh, Mark 
um, Mark 4 and 38, right? Um, if you compare that to chapter 15 of the gospel according to Mark, verse 39, and when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly this man was the son of God. So he got tired and he died just like we have to die. My God. And guess what? He was the first fruits of them that slept. And just like he got up, we're going to have to get up also. Um, I just threw that in extra. Now, also, he humbles himself. And you keep going back to verse 8. He humbles himself and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. This is the fifth thing from his throne. So Paul is saying he did all of this from his throne all the way down to the cross. He keeps condescending. He keeps coming down, down, down so we can go up, up, up. He humbles himself and he keeps you keep going back to that. He humbles himself. He was born. Listen, he's born in a place called Bethlehem, right? Um, Micah 5 and 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, thou, uh, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me. That is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So it, it was even prophesied. He's, he's going he's gonna to come out of humble beginnings. And uh, he lived in a place that was despised. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? This is how they talk about it. Anything, can anything good come out of a place called Nazareth? Listen, even when Jesus started his ministry, people in Nazareth, just, they was just mean. They didn't like him. They didn't, they didn't believe in him. Right? So... Uh, he comes out of humble beginnings. He lived in a despised town, right? Uh, all of this is true. He humbles himself. Uh, if you go to um, Matthew 13 and 55, uh, he even had a humble trade. He worked as a carpenter. Uh, he comes out of humble beginnings. He's a, he's a hard worker. He didn't sit around. Uh, twiddling his thumbs, right? And, and it was considered hard, humble work. Is not this the carpenter's son? I'm reading out of Matthew 13 and 55. They're looking at Jesus, you know, he's performing miracles, and somebody's looking around and saying, is that the carpenter's son doing all of that? Is not his, is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and uh, Hosus and Simon and Jude? So they knew his family, they, you know. That's the carpenter's son laying hands on the sick. Uh, you know, he's humble. He didn't walk around with a sign. He didn't, you know, on him, I'm, I'm the greatest. He wasn't like some of us in the household. You want everybody to see you. You want it, but uh, when you do the work of Christ, people are going to see you anyway. Uh, and they may not say what you want them to say. They wasn't saying, is that the son of God? And they said, no, that, that's the carpenter's son. Walking around. I know his family. I knew him when he was a little. You know how people do. Uh, but he's working the work. Uh, and he's humbled himself. The sixth thing. Right. About it. That, that Paul is writing to us. And he's, he's breaking it down. He becomes obedient to death. I'm 
back in verse 8 again. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbles himself and becomes obedient unto death. Obedient unto death. Uh-huh. Obedient unto death. So let's go to Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Though he were a son, he learned, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Can't, we can't be effective if we, if we come to people showing off and bragging about ourselves. And, and Paul says in the, in the Corinthians, he said, listen, uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ this is the grace of Jesus Christ that he was rich, yet for your sakes, so he can win you, so he can draw you. He became poor. He didn't come flashy. He didn't come showing off riches. He was rich. He's, he's God in the flesh. He was rich, yes. He was God in the flesh, right? And, and immediately, this is what God told Israel, all the gold and silver is mine. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. Now, if the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, he owns everything. The cattle on the thousand hill is mine. So, yes, he was rich. He didn't look rich. He's born in Bethlehem, right, wearing sandals, uh, working as a carpenter. But he was rich. But for our sake, he became poor that he, through his poverty, that ye meaning you and I, through his poverty, might become rich. That's some powerful stuff. I could sit right there for the rest, rest of this lesson. Uh, but he becomes obedient even to the death on the cross. I got to take you back to Hebrews 12 and 12. Where, wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. and Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is... Lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed, right? Um, and he's, he's referring to the fact that Jesus has come and fulfilled everything and tell everybody, um, you know, that this is what Christ has done. But I want to take you, and I, I actually brought you to the wrong verse. It's the second verse, looking unto Jesus. Here I am. I'm in the right place now. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God uh, and he's dealing with the cross even the death of the cross and, and Paul is, is really really spreading this out very good for us because he's letting us know that he is God Jesus was God in the flesh. This is God who lowers himself. He becomes 
uh, men like us, sinful flesh. He's just as much God as he is man, and he allows himself even to suffer the cross. And when you think about the cross, this was the most degrading, the most degrading and shameful death known to die on the cross like a common thief, a common criminal. Uh, but he humbly submits to this indignity, uh, scorning its shame. Hebrews 12 and 2. Let's go back there. Hebrews 12 and 2. I'll read it one more time. Uh, looking unto Jesus, the author, finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, this is how he descended. He, he continued. He comes like us, right? He sleeps like us. He's tied like us. He's tempted like us. And then he allows himself to experience the death of the cross, right? Because he was yet a man, but he was just as much God as he was man. He says, no man takes my life. I feel like preaching now. No man takes my life. I'm going to lay it down. And when I'm ready, I'm going to take it up again, um, just like I took it down, just like I laid down. Uh, let's, let's understand that I'm going to get up again now. So now we have to talk about his exaltation. We talked about his condescension, and now we have to talk about his exaltation. Uh, and that's what Paul starts describing when we get into verse 9, chapter 2 of the book of Philippians, wherefore God has highly exalted him. Verse 8, he's talking about uh, the climax of his dissension was on the cross, the humiliation of the cross. He's God in the flesh. He allows himself to suffer all of this craziness. Wherefore God highly exalted him. And giving him a name which is above every name. So just like there were seven steps down from the throne, there are uh, now seven steps, hallelujah, up from the shame of the cross to the glory of the throne. So he comes down and he comes back up. But when he comes back up, he's taking you and I with him. I felt that in my big toe. God exalted him to the highest place. Verse 9 exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name. Hallelujah. As God, Jesus would always share his father's glory, but now God exalts him as man looks up. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, which he have wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he gives him a name that is above every name, the precious name of Jesus. And this name, every, hallelujah, every name is beneath the name of Jesus. His name is above every name because he is above all others. I want to take you somewhere now. I want to take you to the Old Testament, the Song of Solomon. Uh, 
Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 3, says, Because of the Savior of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore, do the virgins love thee. Hallelujah. Acts 4 and 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. At that name, he says, every knee shall bow. This is number three. He's making his ascension. He's just what Jesus, he comes down uh, to where we are, and now he's pulling us up. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. Hallelujah. Every knee should bow. Every believer should humbly and adoringly bow now. Everyone that believes in him, everyone that's serving him, we should be bowing now. Ephesians 3 and 14 says, for this cause... Paul is praying for us now. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We all have his name. We all worship and serve him, so we should be bowing down now. But one day even his enemies will bow down. Hallelujah. Everybody's going to have to bow down one day, but the believers of God, we should be bowing down now, you don't have to go there. I just want to run this quickly by you. I don't want to take up too much time. Uh, but uh, because of who he is, uh, as the Egyptians who are made to bow before Joseph in the book of uh, Genesis. And Ahazia's captain did to Elijah, Second Kings uh, chapter 1. God has declared that it will be so. Hallelujah. They will We'll have to bow, everyone will have to bow down to him. Uh, everyone in heaven, according to verse 10, uh, everything in heaven, everything on earth, everything under the earth will have to bow down to him. Hallelujah. So let's go further. I'm almost through. Um, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, you, you're saying, what, what is all of this about? Because uh, Paul is, is dealing with issues in the church. Uh, there was discord. He's getting, he's getting word that there's discord in the church. Uh, or the women are not getting along and he, he goes through all of this and then he throws this right in the middle. He says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And he uses Jesus as an example of what humility is all about. Uh, and, he under, and he's teaching us that you, we can't get anything done. Uh, we can't really work in the power and authority of a church as a people of God if we're not working together as his children, and so he's saying we should have the mind of Christ. If we're, if we're children of God, then we should conduct ourselves as the children of God. So there was a behavior that he's trying to instill in us, and he's using Jesus as an example. Uh, you know, Jesus was God in the flesh, but he humbles himself, and he 
shows us how he declines, how he comes down to where we are so he can raise us to where he is. Uh, so in order for us to be effective, we have to humble ourselves in order to draw with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Uh, we have to let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. Uh, and when he breaks all of this down, uh, the dissension and then how he pulls us up, how God exalts him after he goes through all of this suffering, all of this humility, then God exalts him. Then he comes right back, uh, you know, to this in verse 12, wherefore, as ye have always obeyed, not when I was there pastoring you, not just when I was there in the pulpit preaching to you. You know how folks do when the preacher's there, the preacher shows up, the pastor's, everybody's on their best behavior. But now I'm not there with you anymore, and I'm getting all these reports where y'all are fighting over position and bickering and all of this stuff. Uh, he says, work out your own salvation. Do what you're supposed to do. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Mm -hmm. He gives us this great example of humility and working, not just so people will pat you on the back, but fulfilling your purpose and doing what you're supposed to do. So he, he gives us all of this, how Jesus uh, is portrayed as this great example, and he was of humility, lowliness, selflessness, and we're supposed to have the same attitude. That's what he means when he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Act like your daddy. Be more like Jesus. Be more like the one that saved you. Let this attitude be in you. Let this way of behaving yourself towards others be in you just like it was in Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus. Um, I want to read that same verse in, in the Message Bible. It says it like this. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. I'm going to read that in NIV. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. So there's, there's a message there. And again, what I'm, what I'm trying to avoid, people of God, uh, when we do come back in the building, I, I don't want to go back to normal. I hear people say, um, I can't wait till things get back to normal. Normal was a mess. In some regards, normal was a mess. Uh, you know, this one don't get along, this one is fighting that one, uh, and folks taking, taking communion on top of division and animosity, and Paul is trying to avoid all of some of these unnecessary things. Uh, number one, he understands spirit-filled people are supposed to know better. And if you know better, you're supposed to do better. Uh, so he's, he's giving them a perfect example. It doesn't get any better than Jesus, right? He, he understands exactly who Jesus is. Uh, he, he is God in the flesh. Uh, but 
Um, he comes down from his throne. He lays his glory down. He comes down from his throne, and he does all of this suffering, all of this, all right? And he's tempted like we are. Uh, we have a high priest that understands, I'm paraphrasing, he understands the feelings of our infirmities. Why? Because he's experienced everything we have experienced. He understands. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He was tempted on all points, right? Um, and he's an example of lowliness, though, of selflessness. So Paul is saying, let the, the same behavior of Jesus, the same attitude that he had, we should have. That's, that's why he's saying, let this mind be in you. And so uh, we did all of that teaching. We did all of that. Uh, and I hope I wasn't going too fast because now uh, we have to talk about how do I do it? How do I allow? How do I allow? How do I let this mind be in me that was in Jesus Christ? How? How? Uh, and, and the first the first thing I have to let you know is because the word that Paul uses is let, uh, let, let. So the first thing I have to do is let go. Huh? What am I letting go of? I'm letting go of self. And listen, that's a tall order because I'm grown. Uh, you know, I'm just being real. And uh, I have my own way of thinking. Uh, you know, I have my own attitude. I, I you know, I'm, I'm a pretty smart guy. And, uh, but Paul is saying, I don't care how smart you are, you have to let go of you. In order for God to live through you, you have to let go. And he uses the word let, allow the mind of Christ. Let this mind allow, allow the behavior of Christ. And if you have the Holy Ghost, the behavior of Christ can manifest in your life. That's why you, you, you can't live holy without the Holy Ghost. You know, a whole lot of us are messed up with the Holy Ghost, confused with the Holy Ghost because we're fighting against the voice of God. I don't know how you're making it without the Holy Ghost because Paul is talking to spirit-filled believers when he says, let this mind, not your mind, not your attitude because your attitude <laughs> Your attitude right now is not the best. You're telling everybody off, bawling everybody out, right? And, and Jesus, but Jesus was like, love those that hate you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Uh, let this mind, this behavior be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So the first thing I have to do, uh, I, have to, I have to let go. I've got to take you to verse 13 now because he does a whole lot of explaining. He gets deep into this. The example of Christ is, is some deep stuff. And then uh, he starts closing it down. He says, uh, you've always obeyed. Uh, you know, when I was, I was in church, you acted nice when I was in church. Oh, the pastor's here. We can't act out. Uh, but now I'm not there. I'm in jail. And you know, you know how to do Work out your own salvation. Don't wait for me to preach to you. Don't wait for the preacher to tell you to love one another. You know the words yourself. You, why you got to wait for the preacher? You got to wait for somebody to prophesy to you, for you to straighten up 
and fly, you, you have the word. You have the Holy Ghost. Listen, if there was no Bible to read, you have the Holy Ghost. And if you allow Christ to lead you, there'll be no bickering. There'll be no fighting. If you allow the mind of Christ, the behavior of Christ to take control of your life, uh, we won't be fighting one another because Christ is not divided. He's the mind of Christ is not schizophrenic. He's not bipolar. He's not loving on Sunday. And when you see me in a supermarket, you don't want to speak to me. Christ is not like that. So Paul says, I'm absent from you now, but you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know the right thing to do. Have the mind of Christ. Let this mind have the mind of Christ. Let go of yourself and let Christ lead you. Let go and let God. You know how we, the saints used to say, let go and let God have his way? That really has become a, a, a cliche because of folks really don't want to let go and let God have his way. We want to do it our way. But if we would let go and let God, uh, we'd be a powerful people. Yes, powerful. we do more than just singing and shouting things. With a whole lot of stuff would change. So let go. Um, then verse 13 is, is the clincher, and I'll, I'm going to close out here. Verse 13 says, for it is God that worketh in you. So the first thing, if we are going to have the mind of Christ, uh, if we're going to apply what I, all of this that I just said, if I'm, we're going to be, the first thing is I got to let go of self, and I have to let the mind of Christ be the mind that I function with, the behavior that I function with. So I'm letting go. I'm letting, I'm letting God. And Paul really clinches it in verse 13. He says, because it's God that's working in you. It's God that's working in you. It's God that's working in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Don't be weary in well-doing. You'll reap if you faint not. It's God working in you. It is God working in you. I hear it over and over again. I want to read that same verse in the common English Bible. It says, God is the one who enables you both to want mm -hmm, and to actually live out his good purposes. To live out his good purposes. I'll read that same verse, verse 13 in the Message Bible. That energy in you is God's energy. Say that spirit in you is God's spirit, an energy deep within you, God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. God is getting the glory out of our lives. The only way he can get it out of my life is if I humble myself and allow the mind of Christ to have fruition. Take, just, just use me, Lord, and help me to love. He teaches us how to love. Right? He teaches us how to do the right thing. He shows us he will lead you and guide you into all truth. So listen, I have in my notes, God's grace works in us to produce in us two things. Desire and power to do his will. Desire. What do I have a desire for? To please him. I have a desire because I'm, I'm letting the mind of Christ work in me. It develops a desire to please him, a desire to be holy, a desire to worship, 
a desire to treat my brother right, a desire and power to do his will, an enablement to do his will. So when I talk about this, um, God's work, his work, because he says, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. But his work is not one of compulsion or irresistible grace. And let me explain, because the work, when he, we talk about the work of grace within us, I'll take you back to Philippians chapter 1 and 6, uh, where Paul says these powerful words, being confident in this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you, he begins the work and he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So he started the work in you, and if you allow the mind of Christ, if we allow him, if we let go and allow him to work through us and in us, then he'll perform it until Jesus comes. And listen, if we're allowing the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, he does not lead us into division. He does not lead us to fight one another. He does not lead us to be against one another. He will always lead us to unity and concord and strength and working together because Christ is not divided. Wow. First Thessalonians 5 and 24. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. He will perform it. Second Timothy 4. 18, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Titus 3 and 5 through 7. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's the work of grace in us. All of those scriptures tied together. And there are others that I could have used. That's the work of his grace in us. But we have to allow him to work that power, that energy, hallelujah, that the Message Bible is referring to. Uh, he says, God, that's God, that's God in you. So if God is in you, why don't you let God work through you? Uh, why, do, why do we, and, and you know, uh, even Paul said there's a war going on. It happens to the best of us where self gets in the way of God's strength in us or God's spirit in us. So we have to let this mind, you have to let this mind, you have to allow the Holy Ghost to function through you. He saved you so he can function through you. Uh, so the work, the work, the progress, the production, whatever, however you want to put it, my purpose uh, is always dependent. My success in the kingdom is not dependent on my education. And education is fine. I'm not against education. But my success in the kingdom of God is not dependent on how long I've been in Refuge Temple or how many people or how many connections I've made, how many big shots I know. No, 
It's always dependent on my cooperation and response to faith. I've got to cooperate. You say you believe, then cooperate with God's word. You say you're a child of God, then cooperate with the spirit of God. Don't go in the opposite direction of his instruction. Let this mind and the mind, everyone who has a mind, the mind speaks to you. Everything, every function you have is because of your mind. Without even thinking at times, you can do like that. You can, you can twiddle your thumb because of the mind. If something goes wrong with your mind, you, you'll just be stagnant, right? So you have two minds. You have a carnal mind and you have a spiritual mind. So Paul is saying you have to let this mind, let this mind, let this mind, not that mind, this mind. Mm. So you have a choice. You can follow this mind or you can follow your own mind. And so my success is not built upon anything other than my cooperation. It depends on how much I cooperate with the Holy Ghost. How far do you go in the kingdom? It depends on how much you cooperate and respond to faith. Philippians 2 and 12, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, you've always been obedient, uh, not as in my presence only, but now you have to be that much more obedient when I'm not there. You have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You got to know God for yourself, and you've got to decide what kind of mind you're going to have. Uh-huh. Take you down that same chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Do all things. Listen. He's clamping down even harder. He said, do all things without murmuring and disputing. He's talking to spirit-filled believers. Why does the preacher have to tell them, do your work, but stop fighting and fussing? Do everything without murmuring, but without complaining. You're doing it, but I don't want to do this. Then why are you doing it? You're not doing it from your heart, right? It's like uh, I've, I've gone to, to places and, and they're serving food, and they're like almost throwing the food on the table. If you don't want to serve, why are you serving? He said, do it without murmuring and disputing. Do it without fighting one another. Do it. He's, again, he's talking to spirit-filled believers that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. In other words, if you're going to be the people of God, stop acting like crazy folks in the world so you can be harmless and blameless. So people will look at you and they won't say, oh, they're supposed to be saved. And look at them acting crazy doing all of this. He says, do the work without murmuring and complaining. How are you going to be the usher, ushering and rolling your eyes and sucking your, I don't want to stand here. I don't want to do this. Then sit down and let somebody else usher. Do all things. I'm in the Bible. I didn't make this up. Don't tell nobody I made this up. I'm in, I'm in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, do all things without murmurings and disputings so you can be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst mm -hmm, of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world you can't be a light if you're acting like people who are living in darkness 
holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Wow, that's powerful. I, I want to read that same verse in the Common English Bible. It says, God is the one who enables you both to want and to actually live out his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Arguing. Preachers shouldn't be arguing with the ushers. This, this one shouldn't be arguing. Uh, so that you may be blameless and pure, innocent children of God, surrounded by people. We're surrounded by people who are crooked and corrupt, and our job is to pull them out of that darkness, pull them out of the corruption, but corruption cannot pull them into incorruption. If I'm corrupted, I can't help somebody. I can't really pull them out if I'm in there with them. So he's saying, let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the example. He is the epitome of humility. And the only way for us to have unity and strength and work the way we're supposed to work, we have to humble ourselves and come together, sit at the table in humility and understand that it's not by power, it's not by might, but it's by my spirit, save the Lord. Because it's God that works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. Hallelujah. His good pleasure. His good pleasure. I want him to get the glory out of my life. And if his grace is truly working through me, then it's going to continue to produce a desire to please him and the ability and the enablement to fulfill his will in my life. I hope this lesson has helped you. Uh, I know I tend to be long-winded, but it gets good to me. Um, sometimes I just want to stop talking and just begin to praise God because the word of God is really good to my spirit. I love his word, uh, and I love to preach and teach his word. Um, and the Lord, is he's just blessing us even in the midst of all of this. So I hope you have been getting something out of these uh, Bible studies, and we'll be in the book of Philippians again um, on next week. Now, um, if you would like to uh, send in a prayer request, um, we'll be laying them on the altar uh, on tomorrow and on Friday. Uh, send your prayer request to secretary at greaterrefugetemple.org. Uh, and, of course, if you'd like to make a donation, if you want to pay your tithes, uh, given an offering, you may do so. Uh, Brother Wallace has been so kind. He's been working with us, uh, and he'll put all of that on the screen for you. Those of you who are uh, members of Refuge Temple Annex in the Bronx, you may use Givelify, of course, so you can mail in your, uh, mail in your contribution, your donations, your tithing, what have you. The Lord bless you all. And the Lord keep you. We'll continue to pray for the people of God, touching and agreeing that the Lord will make ways for you. He will strengthen you. He will heal. Whatever your need is, God is able to supply. Let's have the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. Because when we're able to come back, I don't want to come back to uh, normal. No, uh, normal wasn't good enough. Let's, let's come back to above normal. Let's come back. Uh, with a greater desire to please God, 
come back in our right minds, willing to do the work, not that we would get the glory, but that God would get all of the glory out of our lives. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word. Continue to bless us and keep us, we ask, as we continue to worship you in the beauty of holiness. Bless everyone again under the sound of my voice, every home that is represented, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. Until next week, we'll see you then.